This is a Culture Inject production. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nevers podcast. This week, we are jumping back into the illustrious, dangerous women of the Whedonverse with part two of the monstrous women of Buffy and Angel. Just want to remind you folks to follow us on our website at hbothenevers.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at hbothenevers. Please stream and download the Nevers podcast on pretty much all podcasting apps that you can find, especially iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher. We also have a Patreon. So just search the Nevers podcast or Google the Nevers podcast Patreon. And benefits of backing us include personalized shoutouts on the podcast, access to our VIP Facebook group, awesome, the Nevers podcast swag, access to Dollhouse Awaken, our show where we revisit every episode of Dollhouse, and so much more. So, so, so much more. But folks, before we jump into this monstrous episode, we really have to thank here over at the Nevers podcast, our brand new Patreon supporter. Their name is Lady Merlin, and we adore you. Thank you so much for your support. Again, thank you to our Patreon supporters, because without you, we'd be living in the dark. So let's catch up with everyone. Today I have, as my co-host, we have Gina, Heather, hello, and I want to welcome back my co-host over at I Spit on Your Podcast uh, of the Spinsters of Horror, Jessica. Hi, thank you for having me back. Excellent. So we'll just do a quick catch up here because we all haven't been together in a while. I definitely haven't been around in a little bit. I'm happy to be somewhat back. I'm mainly skulking in the shadows. (laughs) (laughs) As Kelly does. As I do. (laughs) Well, let's first start uh, with Jess. Uh, so if you had listened to the first Monstrous Women, Jess kind of talked about her affiliation with myself and, and this podcast and whatnot. But uh, Jess, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and share your favorite female characters of the Whedonverse? All right. Well, um, to people who don't know who I am, like Kelly said, I am the co-host of uh, I Spit on Your Podcast and uh, Spinster Number 1 of Spinsters of Horror, where Kelly and I talk about all kinds of different horror movies and different mediums and... Just recently, yeah, did our episode 25, second anniversary episode, where we had talked about, you know, two years of the podcast and celebrating that. And then this month we're doing Buffy. So we're ending Buffy. It's the end of Buffy for us. We're, we're exploring, exploring season six and seven. And my favorite female characters of the Weed and Worse. Well, right now, because Buffy is so fresh in my mind, it is Faith, Anya, and Willow. And when it comes to the actual Weed and Verse, is it River from Firefly? River and um, yep. uh, Wash's wife. Uh, Zoe. Zoe, thank you. Sorry, it's been so long since I watched Firefly, even though I love it. And then I, yeah, and I love Dollhouse. I just had, it's been a long time since I revisited it, which I will be doing because I got season two again. So, <laughs> yeah. Woohoo. And how about you, Heather? What you been up to and your favorite female characters? Uh, so work, 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 and then do hobby stuff like podcast stuff on the weekend. I, it feels like every day is Wednesday anymore. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, the, like yeah. everything's the same. There's 
you know, we don't go anywhere. There's not anything to really look forward to as far as events because you can't really leave the house and go mingle. So it's a it's a little depressing, but I've kind of thrown myself into podcast work hardcore, so it keeps me occupied. Um, I just watched an amazing um, limited series called Devs that's on FX that was, it deals with, um, ultimately deals with um, multiverse theory versus determinant theory that there's, and that everything is going to happen no matter what you do. You're on a fixed timeline. You're, you're all, you were always going to do what you were, um, what you were meant to do and there's no branching out from it. And, and the central thing is, is can you, can you then predict the future if you can engineer a computer that's strong enough to do the math of that wow. kind of thing? Wow. It's, it's, it's super deep and it's also really ethereal and, and atmospheric. And, um, it's, uh, Nick Offerman, who, who's an amazing actor, um, mm-hmm. is the lead and it's, it's just, it's really, there are a few shows that I tear through, right? That I just cannot stop watching. And this was one of them. And I don't even know. I, it, it may be a one-off kind of thing because it ended at a very, it's not considered a series. So it doesn't have a season. It was just this eight episode kind of mini series thing. So I don't even know if there'll be more, but the, the, the guy that is the producer director also wrote 28 days later, Alex Garland. He wrote Ex Machina. He wrote, um, Annihilation. Yeah. Oh, so no. huge fan. I didn't wow. even realize till I started watching it and I was like, oh yeah, I love this guy. So, and on, on the subject of, of subs versus dubs, <laughs> I tend to be a subtitle person, but I will not watch Samurai Shampoo without the dub because mm. that there, that is the most, most amazing voice cast ever. And it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. So. There's my two cents. <laughs> um, so now I know what subs versus dubs is. Subtitles versus dubbing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought it was like a character thing, oh. a story thing. <laughs> I have no idea. When she first okay. said it, I was like, is <laughs> yeah. that a, a, is that a, like a BDSM thing? Like, <laughs> and then I was like, oh no, she's talking about subtitles. Yeah. No. Exactly. And I was like. I'm just going to do the thing where I was like, I don't know what anyone is talking about again. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Okay. Um, and for myself, uh, I'm personally on stress slash sick leave from my job. So that's why I haven't been around focusing on feeling better, stop having anxiety and get back to being awesome. Uh, I blew through a rewatch of Hannibal and hot damn, That show is incredible inside and out. So, so, so much. It's so, I love the the forensic science, the psychiatry, the psychology. It's so beautiful and lush to watch. The the casting is ridiculous. Uh, The acting is brilliant. And the only thing that I would say that I'm sad about is that there should be way more Gina Torres. Holy moly, was she underutilized. Yeah, so very very small role, but yeah, she, the female characters I love so much in in that show. I really wish there was more of her, though. Holy moly, Gina Torres. Hannibal's next so. on my list now that I've finished devs. So yes, please, definitely, we'll we'll chat about it. It's just ridiculous, and it's so graphic, and it's so violent, yet it's so stunningly beautiful. The set design, 
I was going to say creature design, but no, there's no creatures. It's not supernatural, (laughs) but there's like really interesting serial killers and different types of scenarios. And I watched a lot of that and blew right through it within a couple of weeks again. So yeah, that's essentially what I've been up to and watching a hell of a lot of horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot my female characters. I didn't even say Oh, yes, right. I just like blew past that. Anyways, yes, tell me, tell us, tell us. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I, okay, so I love, it's kind of like picking your favorite horse or movie or something. Like there can't be just one and it kind of changes depending on your witcher mood is, but I will always love Illyria. And Anya. Like, I love Buffy. I love Faith. But this week, I love Illyria and Anya because they're just like, there's no filter, right? They're just unapologetically them. You know, and we'll get into it with Anya, obviously. But I love that. I love Illyria's just absolute, especially at the beginning, her her lack of use for anyone in this universe. And, you know, (laughs) being offended that she's and has to speak American English and talking about, you know, how words are awful in her mouth and blah, 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 blah. I just thought, you know, Fred's a great character, but Amy Acker really showed her chops when she switched to Illyria. Like Illyria is just such a brilliantly conceived character. Yeah, right. And like that um, costume design is so cool. Mm. Like, she is so rad. I was never skinny enough to cosplay that. But if I had been, right? if I was younger, when because cosplay was, it was a thing, but it was very much a closet thing when I was young yeah. enough to get away with that. I would be all about Illyria. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like the cold blue eyes and the blue in the hair and, oh boy. And just kind of the plate leather. Just, yeah. oh, so good. Yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful design. Um, for myself, I, I feel like you, Heather, just like anytime, like I'll rewatch Buffy and I'm like, no, but this character or this episode, I'm like this character It happens all the time. These really wonderful ensemble casts. But, uh, in the end, for sure, it will be Faith. Yeah. Um, Drusilla, probably Darla. I love Darla. Darla's so underappreciated and we can get into that. But yeah. Yeah. I, I feel very strongly about the Angel and Buffy characters, um, not that the, you know, the Firefly women, uh, dollhouse women, but I'm just like, maybe just because I've spent more time with them on like a personal level and like a research level. But uh, the female characters in Buffy and Angel just. Well, we had a lot more time with them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's very true. Firefly, very, very little. Zoe is pretty rad. Again, more Gina Torres in the world. Um and uh, yeah, I, I love Dollhouse. And folks, if you're on our Patreon, you can hear all of our Dollhouse thoughts. I just love Eliza Dushku as a human being and actress. So we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Well, sadly, there's no news to report for the Nevers or, you know, anything of that regard. So we can just jump through that and get right into our discussion. First, we're going to start off with everyone's favorite Victorian hysterical woman, Drusilla. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been two days since my last confession. So what was everyone's initial first impressions with her? So her and Spike blew onto the scene in School Hard and Season 2 of Buffy. So what, what were your initial impressions? Let's start with that. You're like, bam, here's Drusilla and Spike. What's up with that? Amazing. Like, I remember when we we just recently watched that episode, too, for uh, Drunken Cinema Night with School Hard and just remembering, like, how of an impact those characters when they came onto the scene and how that makes us feel. Like, you're like, oh, 
shit's getting real. We've got some good vampires coming on here. And especially with uh, Drusilla, when she comes out of the shadows and she's just like, she's very seductive, but yet at the same time too creepy and mysterious. And you're like, oh, what are we getting into with this character? Um, that's how I felt when I first saw I met Drusilla. School hard, school hard is what sold me on Buffy. Like oh. that was the, the nail, right? Um, I had gotten through season one. Um, I didn't watch it when it aired, so I blew through season one and I knew that it was very hit or miss and it was only 12 episodes. Um, and, you know, the first and second episode of season two were way better, better produced, you know, uh, and then it got to three and three just blew my doors off because School Hard was episode three. And Drusilla, especially when she comes floating kind of on screen, this this mix of and, you know, you're in trouble because it's this mix of dread music, but still kind of this baby doll vibe she's got going. And you were like, I don't know who this chick is yet, but she's dangerous. There was this one slayer there in the Boxer Rebellion. Drusilla. You shouldn't be walking around. You're weak. Look at all the people. Are these nice people? We're getting along. This one has power. Like you hadn't it scene because the master was kind of scary but i always felt his makeup took me out of it a little bit like i love mark metcalf don't get me wrong but i i the fruit punch mouth messed me up every time (laughs) (laughs) drusilla came out with those nails and just juliet landau god bless her she just she just ripped everybody's face off like so subtly but and then that iconic shot where they put their heads together, her and Marster, mm-hmm. Spike and Drusilla. And I was just like, this is Mickey and Mallory and they are going to, they are going to tear this season apart. And I'm, I'm here for it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it was just that whole episode and her putting that perfect foil of, of innocence, but that you know that that's not what it is. Like she's innocent and she's crazy and she's deadly. And oh, here we go. Right. It was oh, just great. It was great. <laughs> that, just said, like shit's getting real. What yeah. is the season going to be? Well, they become right. agreed. They're the Bonnie and Clyde of uh, Buffy of the, of the Buffy yeah, series. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. I love that you said that she like floated into the scene, which is exactly what happened. She's like, there's this ethereal presence and she kind of just appears and it's, it's incredible. Yeah, they the two of them definitely have a wonderful chemistry as uh, Drusilla and Spike and that, you know, building that relationship together and that danger between the two of them. But I really love how you pointed out that, yeah, Drusilla is the one with the power, you mm-hmm. know, and he's kind of like her, you know, that that the keeper in the sense that like when she regains her full power again, she will be this force to be reckoned with. And that's what I love, too, when you see her later on talking to the dolls and I'm just like, Oh no, we've got a crazy vampire. <laughs> I always love Spike's I love Spike's deference towards the women he loved, Drusilla in particular. Um he was a horrible monster and obviously ne- neither one of them were human, but something got through with Spike, right? Because the way that he doted upon her uh, was kind of like uh, it was romantic and it was something to strive for with a, kind of the ideal relationship, a man that loves you unconditionally, protects you, takes care of you when you're sick, even though they're both, you know, monsters and vampires and they will eat you rather than look at you. And it, it's just, you know, it was just like, 
oh, that's so sweet, right? In a really <laughs> messed up way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but for a demented love. But yeah, like, she... I I always felt like Spike never made fun of Drusilla. Like, Mm-mm. there were some jokes that were played, but, like, we're all laughing with them, not at her. Mm-hmm. And he took her very seriously, and I, I, I personally loved that. I loved yeah. that a lot. and juxtapose that with how he treats Harmony when we get to her. You know, it just, it, like, it's it's absolutely heartbreaking to me. So let's say, uh, you know, throughout the, the Whedon verse, and is one thing that uh, I, I was listening to the one year anniversary of the Nevers podcast, and, and I'm so sorry, it might have been Heather or Gina that mentioned this, but it's really wonderful throughout Buffy and throughout Angel, I think it was Gina, we talk about like, we continuously learn stuff about our characters and our villains, like, by the end of the show, there's still stuff to learn. So I feel like you really need to watch Angel and Buffy to get a fully well-rounded understanding of every single character in that the Buffy and Angel verse, because you're going to learn stuff about different characters in Angel that you didn't get through seven seasons of Buffy. So you really need to watch both of them. So origin stories that have been, especially with Angel and Spike and Drusilla and Darla, have been speckled throughout all of Buffy and all of Angel. So origin for, for Drusilla, I find devastating and fascinating and it's it just shows how mean and jealous was so uh why don't you three talk about kind of like the origins of drusilla like you know she was this religious virginal woman young woman and victorian age um you know she had the sight she was cursed with the sight as we know and then you know that just becomes uh, i think part of the asset or her power when she becomes a vampire i feel like um Drusilla was very lucky that she wasn't born in Darla's time or they would have burned her at the stake. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they would have accused her of being a witch, yeah. I don't think we ever understood, and I was thinking about this um, when I was going back through your writings, Kelly, how her power was perceived by her family, her church, that kind of thing. It was just stated that she had the gift, right? But it was so clear that Angel was so fixated on corrupting this poor girl. And they don't get into details except to say that he killed her family and tortured her, drove her mad, and then made her a vampire. I often wonder how long it took. I mean, I know that's sadist, but I want more details about that. Because they always allude to what an artist Angel is in the the art of the kill. Like he's, you know, in this, you know, Sun Tzu of... If what have you of the art of, you know, being a vampire and drawing it out. He's the pleasure principle, right? Of murder, I guess. And poor Drusilla would have had no idea. She would have been sheltered. She would have been, you know, she would have been lightly schooled. And most of that would be teaching her manners and needlepoint and art. And depending on what level of the society she came from, she like, how did he, how did he get to her? Right. You know what I mean? You talked about it, Gina, mm-hmm. where he was outside mm-hmm. the house cackling when the phone call came about Jenny from from that episode. That must have been the same thing for him. He must have done things and then left them for her to find them, for her family to find them and picked them off one by one. And just, I, I can't imagine in that era, what do you do when you're a young woman like that and you're powerless and the cops are, you know, they're not going to believe you. The church is not going to believe you. I mean, 
Well, was Drusilla not put in a? Uh, was Drusilla not in a covenant? Like, um, she was sent to live with a bunch of nuns because she started to go mad. Like, and her family were concerned about her. And I felt like Drus- I felt like what happened to Drusilla like happened over years. Like, Angel was like yeah. he got fixated on her and was like, "You're so pure. You're so virginal. You have this gift." And I'm wondering if this all happened to around the spiritualist movement, you know? And he's like, mm-hmm. "I'm just gonna mess with you." And then over years, you know, driving her slowly mad and saying that she's put into a covenant thinking that god's gonna save her she's fine and then he just like you know you there is no god i'm your god now and destroys her sorry <laughs> kind of like a kind of went to a hellraiser <laughs> motif there like i'm your god now angel <laughs> and jealous and then well yeah but it's very true though very true um i don't know about her ever being put in a, a convent i don't maybe remember i can't really, yeah maybe that was just um, she's dressed no, I think that was briefly mentioned. It may have yep. been after yep. her. Yep. It, it may, that, like yep. speaking of trying to be safe, maybe that was her last resort to try and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, she has the gift. She would have been able right. to see what his true nature was. So right. she probably would have been right away been like, you're a monster. And that probably would have, if knowing Angelus would have really yeah. upset Angelus at the time. Like, oh, you think I'm a monster? Let me show you what a monster is. And that's his fa- fixation on her that way. So, because, yeah. And the, isn't it that, so uh, Angelus sired Drusilla. He also sired uh, Spike as well, right? For Drusilla? Or- Drusilla sired Spike. And I think that was just a convention of when they brought Marsters and her on the show, Juliet Landau, those characters, yeah. uh, they weren't going to be long term. Um, and I think they decided to switch it up. And the explanation has always been that Drusilla sired Spike. But Spike's statement towards Angel in Schoolhard was more of yes. him being his master as far as teaching him the ways of being a vampire. Right. He, calls okay. him, yeah. he calls him his Yoda. Now, I'm sure they meant for Sp- at the time, at the time of writing, that Angel was his sire. But oh, okay. then they, they retconned it. Oh, that makes <clears> sense. <throat> yeah, because they kind of like a family, right? Yeah. The four yes. of them, they were like yes. a... Yeah. For hundreds, yeah. I wonder if um, Drusilla, one, if that's her real name and not just like her Mm -hmm. vampire name, um, if she was the one where Angelus killed a puppy and left it for them. Because we know there's that story of Angelus killing a puppy because he's all all about the the hurt and not the kill. So did he do that to Drusilla? Because that would be very Sounds like one of his party uh, hits, right? Like, how do you know, what's one of my go-tos? Kill their pet. Yeah. 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 Gosh. Not gaining any points for Angel on my end over here. <laughs> well, there's Angel and, and Angelus. Angelus did all the bad, terrible yes. things. <laughs> but th- that's why I find it so fascinating in season two of Buffy. Like, I've, I've mentioned this before in this podcast. Like, I feel like Drusilla is the worst thing Angelus has ever done. So I, I love getting into Angel's mind when it comes to Drusilla. Like, how does he see her? And yet part of him, I feel like, is still very fascinated by her, even though he's Angel. Because mm-hmm. obviously Angelus mm-hmm. still lives inside him. Mm-hmm. So, and yep. he knows her so well. Well, Angelus does, but Angel does too. So it's, I don't know. It's it's interesting to say that, so we look at Drusilla as a vampire and she is mean. She is crazy. She is all these really dark things. And then we're like, okay, well, she was this, this pure virginal woman, but wasn't that something that was a part of her anyway? That's something that Angel helped to bring out in her? Like that darkness that's all within us, sure. right? That. You know, he was just able to be like, oh, you think I'm a, if you think I'm a monster, I, can, I know you're a monster as well. You're embracing the monstrous woman within. So I'm just going to bring that forward, you know, and show you what you really are. Right. Yeah. 
I think that they talk about it for as much as they talk about it, it it's not a person at all. It's a mm. demon inside a human skin. But our established characters have let us know that whatever comes out when a vampire, when they were a human as a vampire, was part of them. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. and there's something there's a tie there. Because if you look at look at Spike when he was William Pratt. I mean, he was, he was, he was full of love, but he was such a mama's boy and so soft-spoken. He wanted to be a poet. He was nothing like Spike, except for the fact that he held on to that reverence for women, right? That, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know what I mean? So, yep. but Drew, I think by, by just the, the prospect of her, of her, what am I trying to say? Of her having the sight that has carried over into her vamp part has, um, and whatever, you know, Angel did to her clearly drove her insane. And that carried over as well, you know, is, is all part and parcel of the madness he bestowed upon her. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm forgetting the episode title in Angel season two, but it's so messed up when <laughs> he's literally, it's before he's, he's turned her into a vampire and they're like in a in an abandoned church and like <laughs> Darla and Angel are about to Angelus are about to like have sex and they're like kind of rolling mm-hmm. on top of each other like next to Drusilla and it's like ooh man like that was like one of the last things he probably did before he turned her like imagine all the other things he did and that's that's messed up, it's messed <laughs> but up. I love it <laughs> yeah which might be and that's a really great point uh, which might bring in to the fact that her, and we'll get into her vampire life now, um, great segue, is that she plays up a lot of this, like, bondage, um, like, highly, quote-unquote, deviant sexuality as a vampire. So that's really interesting that you say that, Gina, because she probably saw a lot of things that blew her, you know, very pious mind so seeing that maybe a lot of that stuff right before being turned and that just created this well drusilla as we know and love she's you know mentally unstable she's hysterical she's demented um yeah so i think that's a fascinating thing and maybe that is an aspect of why her sexuality is so perverse so to speak uh I was going to say, I'm like, is it really perverse? I think, like, Drusilla straddles between both being perverse but also <laughs> trying to still keep that virginal aspect of her, right? Because she still dresses. She plays with mm. dolls. Mm-hmm. She has – she dra- oh, yeah. all her outfits are very virginal if they're even black, like, right? So she's, like, the black virgin type thing. Yep. Um, but, yeah, she does kind of give into, like – she always makes it reference that she's, like, you know, kinky, like, biting. And she's all into, like, I'm into biting and – all that, you know, interesting stuff. But she's not like when I want to think of like characters like Anya or um um Harmony when they refer more to like BDSM stuff. Like Drusilla was not I don't feel like she was that, that overt to it. But she was also interesting too that she seemed to want to always go with different men. She didn't like to mm. be held mm. down by one person mm. and I, we, we didn't realize that mm-hmm. too late until later when she runs off with a demon, right? That she's just like she doesn't mm-hmm. want to be she wants to explore. She wants, but she also wants to keep this innocence about her, this dark innocence. Yeah, that's. I love that. That's really interesting. Because, because maybe she's only like super kinky with like <laughs> not everyone, like specific people. Mm-hmm. I feel like obviously with Spike and Angel. Um, in what's my line? Part Particularly two, Angel, right? What's my line? Part two. 
<laughs> the hottest thing ever. <laughs> when she's like tying Angel up. Oh my god, and like torturing him. Oh, the oh, candle wax, yeah. when, candle wax scene, right? Oh, yeah, oh yeah. my god. Yeah. And then when Spike walks in and that tension between them three, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you we'd get here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hottest thing ever. <laughs> and I think her flippant attitude towards especially when you saw it drove Spike crazy, right? That she would not just running off with the with the mucus demon or whatever yeah, with the yeah, antlers, yeah. right? But even when <laughs> Spike was in the wheelchair, right, and Angel mm. was Angelus, and it was clear that her loyalties shifted like the wind because Spike wasn't interesting to her anymore. He wasn't powerful, right. and Angel was in control of the situation, and so she wanted to be close to that light, right? And poor Spike was just like ah, you know, um, but. She clearly in her vampire thing wanted, if you weren't completely 100% dedicated to her and able to wreak havoc, she was out. Yeah. Yeah. So when she, to bring back to Jess's point, when uh, she left, she left him for the, for the demon, uh, she had realized through having eyes, first of all, and having the sight that Spike was in love with Buffy. Yes. And she couldn't have that. That was Mm -hmm. not cool can bang other people but be in love <laughs> right, with each right, other only well, like, exactly. yeah, having the having yeah. the sight and stuff like that too she would always realize too that buffy would be spike's end right so that would essentially be drusilla's end if she keeps any kind of association with him a, th- a thing that i really loved about and what was really fascinating about drusilla as a vampire and just you know you said it so well is that like we when we first saw her like she's dangerous she's gonna be powerful like what is this woman all about but up until this point We've had only seen one vampire be able to mesmerize anyone. And that was the master. And he's a thousand years old. So in your mind, you're thinking like, oh, you develop more powers the older you are. The You know, you become more powerful and interesting and just well realized as a vampire. But she's able to do that. And nobody else, well, even since then, it's been the master and it's been mm-hmm. Drusilla that's been able to mesmerize victims. And that's fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I I thought the same thing, and I've brought that up in a couple of conversations about how Drusilla mesmerized Kendra, and mm-hmm. you know, and those those fingernails, right? Just moving the fingernails Ooh. in front of her eyes, and I and I thought, why was this an aspect of her gift? Was or do you just have a vampire pop up every once in a while that knows how to mesmerize people? Like obviously the master mastered it, but he could also throw mental power against force fields and do other stuff, which she didn't mm-hmm. seem to have. But boy, she had that that glamour mesmerized thing down. Makes you wonder if like as a vampire, because like they're a demon within you or something, it brings out some kind of ability that you may have that mm-hmm. can give you kind of, it's almost like your vampire superpower. Like, okay, Drusilla can mesmerize people and glamorize. Spike has like strength. So he's able to, you know, he's really good at combat. So like Angel is very cruel. So he can knows how to play with people mentally and psychologically. Um, yeah. But I feel like with Angel and Spike, those would just be extrapolations of, of just personality. And, well, and I think strength is just a thing that comes when you're a vampire. You apparently have strength and know how to do karate. <laughs> you know <laughs> immediately know how to well, do I was just thinking too with like Darla like her ability to adapt because when she was and I know I'm jumping ahead but with her being a prostitute you have to learn to adapt and survive and with Darla that was became her kind of like ability to you know she honed that skill very well what if 
what if Angelus knew that that was like a power that vampires could have, but maybe they had to kind of like own it and mm-hmm. learn about it and practice it. So maybe he's, what if he wanted Drusilla to be able to do that and kind of had a feeling that she would be able to, yeah. you know? And I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, now I'm imagining like him, like it was all part of his plan, diabolical plan. Yeah. It makes mm-hmm. you wonder about this whole vampire lore. Yeah, I think clearly if he, if he was looking for that, he knew that, um, seers existed if they do exist an aspect of a seer's gift is to be able to mesmerize or glamour people so right right plus plus he never probably got his hands on one so it was like a total kink to torture yeah. a seer. do yeah. you know what i mean yep oh yeah that's very angelus that's very on brand <laughs> this episode of the nevers podcast is sponsored by dead good teas aficionados of the sci-fi and horror genre and creators of premium heavyweight t-shirts and hoodies that are built to last. Dead Good Tea ships worldwide. So whether you're braving the Arctic winds of the Yukon or strolling the beaches of beautiful Thailand, Dead Good Teas has you covered. Thank you to Dead Good Teas for supporting quality podcasting. Start shopping today at deadgoodteas.co.uk. And don't forget, you can follow them online at Dead Good Teas. Hi, I'm Darla. Should we move on to Darla then? Think, yeah. Since we kind of <laughs> segued into it. <laughs> All right. So Darla, one of my other favorite vampiric women. Again, to fully understand Darla, you got to watch Buffy and Angel. So she is our prostitute. What? So we're going to go into our initial impressions, but she is the very first woman, first person, first vampire that we see when Buffy the Vampire Slayer starts. And like, that's huge. And I feel like sometimes I forget and sometimes a lot of people forget that she was the first one that we meet. And she is the one that she like set the tone and the themes for like the whole show. And that's huge. And so, so important and so incredible to it. So everyone's first impression, which essentially is the first episode of Buffy. I, with Darla, I was not, I didn't realize that she would have such an interesting backstory. And I feel like she got killed off way too early, for, in my opinion. Because like Kelly said, you see her in the first episode, and you're like, oh, she's just one of the, vam- one of the master's, like, lackeys. And he just works for him, and then she just dies so quickly. And then you, as you continue watching Buffy, and you learn more about Angel's story, and learn that how she was, like, his sire. And she was so important. She was the next most powerful vampire to the master. And I'm like, oh, really? And then I, I, I know I didn't watch all of Angel, but I know I've seen some episodes where she comes back and stuff like that. And I was just like, so why did we kill her off so soon in, in season one? I want to see more of Darla. So at first I didn't think she was, a, I thought she was a nobody character when I first saw her mm-hmm. come on. And then she dies like, okay, you know, but then I learned more about her. I was like, wow, that was, she was, you know, an opportunity lost I found. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why they brought her right. back. She was much more fully you know? realized in Angel. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, when she was in season one, I found her, um, and she was meant to be a trope. She was meant to be the innocent blonde girl in the schoolgirl outfit, you know, is going to get taken out by something because she's clearly she's the victim because she's doing, she's transgressed, right? She's running around with a boy. Mm -hmm. And, and of course that, you know, flips it on its head, which to now sounds cliche, but back then it was, you know, in 97 when the show started, that was groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, But she remained kind of this childish, churlish, you know, undyingly or dyingly devoted to the the master (laughs) and doing his bidding. Whereas, they, you know, they totally flipped the script in Angel where she became this kind of powerful matriarch figure 
And I enjoyed that Darla so much better yeah. um, than, mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. And, and she got the job done and she, you know, she showed that in her own way, at least in Buffy, she was, you know, a powerful uh, female character and a, and, and a monster, but the Darla and Angel is just so, such a symphony of contradiction and power that, yeah. I, I, and emotion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ooh, beautifully said. Oh my God. How do I follow that? Um, <laughs> so I first watched Buffy in 2011 and I, I have such a weird past, but I feel like that's when I really started realizing that I was a feminist. It's sad that it took that long that I was in college. Better, like my senior late year. Than never. Ooh, it's true. It's true. So uh, when my friend was like, we need to watch Buffy. And I was like, sorry, I don't watch TV shows. He's like, please just give it a chance. You'll love it. I'm like, sure. Um, and when it started with Darla turning into a vamp and just freaking killing that guy uh, in my head, I was like, wait, 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 is this real? Is this, is this? And I was like, there's no way that this is going to be the most feminist thing that happens. And then that's it. And then I'm not going to like the show. But I think it, like, like Kelly said, it's, it's the perfect way to start Buffy. And it's just, it just blew my mind. And and weirdly enough, I watched the first few seasons of Dexter before Buffy. Dexter was my first TV show, which is weird. So I ever? love Julie Benz. Yeah, <laughs> ever. I have a weird past. I was going to say. <laughs> my parents just didn't uh, show my sister and I. They were, they were kill your TV types, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah. But so I love Julie Benz. And then I was just so happy to see her. And again, I love villains. I was just so happy to see her kill this guy as a vampire. I was just like, okay, maybe I'm going to love this show. And yes, obviously in Angel, she is a lot more realized. But I do love her so much in the episode Angel in season one of Buffy. Obviously, finding out about her and Angel's past a little bit, I was like, ooh, this is so dark. Look at this kind of love triangle. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> And I know we just talked about Drusilla, but I love the fact that she, she alludes to wearing a Catholic schoolgirl outfit and how that like Angel would like that, because I feel like that's a small callback to Drew, even though obviously the writers didn't intend that, but on rewatch, I feel like that's a cool little thing. But yeah, um, yeah, and then I don't like uh, guns, <laughs> <laughs> but but when she's on that like, you know, pool table with guns, like it's just so awesome. <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. I don't know. I, I still loved her in season well, one. Well, she's the only vampire in Buffy that plays with weapons. Like, she's like, I don't right? have the physical strength, nor do I know kung fu, so I'm just going to use guns. That's how I adapt. That's how I adapt to survive. <laughs> she was, well, she, I mean, let's be fair. She was always the pragmatist of the group, oh, yeah. right? She, a vampire mm-hmm. allowed her to do the things she really wanted to do, which was ink, drink, be merry, have yeah. the finer things, <laughs> yeah. wear the latest, like, yeah. she always wore the latest mm-hmm. fashions for the period. Like she yep. was into the yeah. luxury that being a vampire afforded her. And I'm, I look at it and I would like it of the three, I would be the most like her. I would be like, you know, let's eat people and take their concert tickets. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Living the best why does, life. Why does being a vampire have to be so complicated? It is quite simple. Right? Eat, like, drink. I don't want to, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do a tapestry of death like Angel does. I don't want to go fight people and look like Billy Idol. I just want to wear Gucci. And eat charcuterie yeah. <laughs> and, you know. 
<laughs> I love that. It's so, so perfect. So her origins, as we know, she was a, a sex worker in the Baroque period. And Jess, you brought up a really wonderful point, which I'd love for you to elaborate on a little bit, is that if Drusilla was alive during the time of, of Darla, or that's her vampire name, we don't know her um, human name, um, that she would have branded as a witch. So do you mind elaborating on that? Well, a it's just bit like more? there were, of Darla's time, you're either two things. or Well, you're either a wife or, or subservient to a man in some way, shape, or form. You know, you're a property, always property. And you're either a sex worker. And then if you had any kind of special ability or anything that made you odd or seen as strange, you were a witch. Because in, in, in with uh, Drusilla, she could have either been, or they could have just decided that she was demonically possessed. You're the demonically possessed, mm-hmm. and we need to exercise you and make you back into a pure woman, or you're a demon, or you're a witch, and we need to burn you at the stake and kill you because of your power, your ability. Um, so that's kind of where I was saying, like, if Drusilla was alive during Darla's time, whereas Darla would, was, like, you know, unfortunately, was a sex worker, a prostitute in her time. And that's kind of where I was talking about her adaptability. And like you said, um, mm-hmm. um, Heather enjoying the finer things in life because she didn't have any of that. She was dying mm-hmm. of syphilis when the master found her. Yeah. I, yeah, and I wonder why he picked her. Like, hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. what, I mean, vampires, and they've made this very, very, very clear in the Buffyverse. You don't just sire everybody you kill, right? It's a selective, um, process because you don't want to be stuck with a loser for the rest of existence right yeah like so he picked her for a reason was he observing her was i always wonder the why did he show up and and save her and why didn't he do it earlier before she was all syphilitic <laughs> like like why now well like why her why now maybe extra loyalty he literally pulled her from death like literally like i will give you everlasting life because you're dying right now, I'm going to pull you from that. I'm going to give you a new body, a new whole new life. And that builds that loyalty to him. So like at the end of the day, she will always go back to the master. She'll always be loyal to the master because he literally saved her life. That's a good point. I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like she had no interest in going on at that point. She was very like Darla's pragmatism. She's like, there's, there's not heaven or hell. God never did anything for me. You know, I'm laying here dying, just trying to have my hustle and survive. And even my hustle has managed to kill me. So, I mean, I always feel like the, the sires in it see something in their, their, their child that made them do it. And I wonder what it was about her. And he, he talks about how she was her favorite, his favorite in, mm-hmm. at the beginning of episode one or two that, you know, and how devastated he was when she got killed. So clearly, you know, something about the Darla character, and I see it a lot more in Angel, was worth resurrecting or saving from death. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's like that idea that she's like, you know, the perfect follower because she's going to do madness she's going to kill and she's going to do exactly what she needs to do as a vampire and he doesn't have to worry about that because she's so pragmatic like he said she's like well kill and live the good life that's what i want to do right i don't want to bring someone who's gonna be too complicated which i think end up being angel's downfall in the end (laughs) Mm -hmm. maybe it was her her lack of interest in life that Ah, fascinated him right maybe it's like the other side of that is like oh like, look at the life that you led, and you don't even care that you're dying. Like, mm-hmm. you just 
You give zero. <laughs> she's over it. Over it. But she's just like, meh, I'm over it. And like, yeah, there's no God. God did nothing for me. And as the master being a very evil, quote, evil, demonic creature who is blasphemous and from hell and whatever. So he maybe that was something that, uh, you know, he saw in her. Maybe she was just hot. <laughs> that too, even syphilitic. She maybe she was like hotter than a lot of women around the time. Was like, Ooh, la, la. Well, you know, um, Darla started something, right? And the way that, like, you know, she sired. She, I, I, I'm literally going to bring this all back, but it's all about Darla at the end. She sires uh, an Angel, creates Angelus. They have this significant love affair. He finds Buffy, falls in love with Buffy, who is petite blonde, like like Darla. You know, just coming it back to, you know, his own, his sire, you know, he's like, you know, he used to have a love affair with Darla. So maybe it's just a thing. I'm, I don't know. This is because I have to connect this to Anya. That, that's true. They used that callback. They used it with Spike as well, that, that Buffy and Spike's mother looked alike. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and there was intentional connection there. Yeah. Whoa, I've never thought about that either. Oh. I am, my mind is being blown. <laughs> like, I've read in, in a number of places that, that his mother was meant to look wow. like Buffy with the long, flowing blonde yeah, hair yeah. and because you know he was that's that was his connection to womanhood was his you know his mm-hmm. view of women and femininity was his mother yeah um yeah. i feel like yeah. also I, I think all of you guys are right when it comes to why the master is hired darla and kelly you bring up a really interesting point like since Speaking she was pragmatic <laughs> since she was done with life maybe the master thought like ooh then she's going to love being a vampire cuz she's it's going to be completely different for her like if she hates this life she's going to love this or, mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe she'll hate it she's going to love death yeah. <laughs> she'll fall in love with death or maybe she'll hate it i think that's the the problem you you run in with all vampires right it's like well i could i desire this person i think they may want to like this and enjoy this or they may not and hate it <laughs> and be trying to kill me my whole life who knows take the risk yeah and i mean clearly once she once she transformed she reveled in it right she spends the whole time she's back being human and angel bemoaning the fact that she can't, she'd rather be dead than not be a vampire. She's so miserable in human form again because it was nothing but misery for her the first time, right? Whereas she enjoyed the finer things like we talked about, but her and Angel made a point of talking about how they slipped around Europe and did whatever they wanted for hundreds of years and didn't draw attention to themselves because they didn't want to ruin their lifestyle. You know, the biggest thing that can happen to a vampire is having a torch-bearing mob after you, right? And that happens a couple of times. So when they take Spike on and he keeps drawing attention to them, it's problematic because it messes up their almost human lifestyle, except that they have to go, you know, drink blood. Agreed. I, I'm called back to that time in, it might have been a flashback in Angel where, yep, that um, torch wielding mob chasing them into like a barn. And she's like, I'm not going to sleep with the cattle and the hay. And Angel doesn't, like Angelus doesn't care. And he's like, well, we're going to be safe. Like we have to protect ourselves. She's like, no, see ya. <laughs> jumps on a horse no. and leaves. Ugh. She's like, no, this is, no, I'm not doing this. I have better things to do. This is not how I'm going to live my vampire life. I, yeah, I deserve better than this. And I love that, that she, she believes that in herself. She's like, I have agency now and I am doing what I want. (laughs) What was it? um, Did any of you see Drugstore Cowboys? So it's a a adaptation. It's a Gus Van Zandt movie. It's adaptation of a book about a gang of people that go around knocking over pharmacies 
in the like 70s or 80s and to get pills, right? And this is this is not now during our pill epidemic. This is in the past. And it's Matt Dillon and Kelly, uh, oh, I can't remember her last name, but at one point he gets sober after they, they had this huge crime spree and that's their lifestyle, right? Much like being vampires. And he's he's like, I got to get clean. I can't do this anymore. And Kelly's like, I'm not going with you. I don't want that. I don't want the straight life. It's hard. I'd rather be high. Mm-hmm. And she leaves him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and yeah. I'd seen the movie, that movie before I had seen Angel. And I was like, God, you know, that's, that, that's agency. That's when you're like, I don't care what my man's doing. This is what I want to do for good or bad, self-destructive or not. She was like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, Dara... Yeah, self-preservation exactly. played yeah. in a man's world and it literally got her almost got her killed right it got her diseased mm-hmm. and she had no life she's like nope this is my life now i'm not playing the man's game like this is what i'm doing she also loves angelus in her own way like it's not the spike and drew love but like when angel got a soul like she was kind of pretending a little bit with angel like back in the day and that's that's also kind of interesting too like, why would she? Why wouldn't she just, like, turn him away completely? I don't know. I think she kept waiting for him to snap out of yeah, it. Right? I, I, yeah, right? I mean, there is that scene where she's finally like, "You, I can't deal with this. Your mopiness and your soul having. I am not interested. <laughs> you know? You're not going to need a baby? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it comes back to the loyalty thing that, that Jess was uh, bringing up because... You don't see Darla really in any other romantic entanglement through the entirety of Buffy and Angel. It's it's Angelus from beginning to end. And I think maybe, yeah, maybe it comes down to that loyalty. And she's very, she's a very emotional vamp. A lot of these vampires are they're very emotional. <laughs> she's incredibly emotional and she's driven so much by those um those feminine traits let's call them and i believe i call them that in my blog post but yeah she's very very loyal and she really doesn't have any other committed relation romantic relationships in the show i also feel like if on the pragmatist note i think in a way her and angel were very similar they lived very um desolate lives in the real life her being a prostitute um, him being a drunk and a layabout and you know constantly being berated by by his father for being terrible. And when they found each other and she transformed him, they were able to take that, um, I don't want to say rage, but that appreciation of the dissolution of the depravity and just go out and wreak Mm -hmm. havoc together. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that was the closest you were going to get to love from them. Did they love each other? Yeah, but not romantically. I, I think it was mm. the, the the mirror looking back at each other darkly. Yeah. Do you know what mm. I mean? They love because they yeah. understood each other. Yeah. They, yeah. And you're yeah, and you're not gonna you're not gonna run around terrorizing people for two hundred years without even beyond the sire bond. I think that it was mm-hmm. very for both of them very um, meaningful. Whether it was love or not mm-hmm. is questionable, but it was definitely powerful. Yeah. I'll, and I'll briefly move, bring up and we'll move on to, to harmony and glory, mainly harmony, but um, a common trope for female vampires. And one of the things that I brought up in, in my blog post is over many years of seeing female vampires in films are always, most of the time they're, 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 they're portrayed as lesbians or at least as bisexuals. And some of our Whedon verse vampires are that, but I feel like Darla 
is does not fit into that. She doesn't really lend herself to showing any kind of sexual feelings towards anybody else that isn't male. I feel like Drusilla plays with that a little bit, um, but uh, Darla seems to be quite heterosexual. I'd agree with that. Season five of Angel, though. And now I'm forgetting the episode title. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um, okay, I can agree with that. I feel like maybe her exception is Drusilla. And maybe not even because... Mm. She, uh, just because of the way they, you know, spend time together back in the day, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. To bring that back to the pragmatism, like, well, the four of us have spent like a hundred years together and well, well, we're there and this seems like extravagant and if, fun and easy. Right. And if, I could, if I could like put terms <laughs> on it, they've all spent living, they've all had a polyamorous lifestyle and Dr- Drusilla is her metamor in a, in a way. So they have this already this bonded relationship between them. Maybe I kind of always felt like until um, Angel uh, later when she was she was made human and then vamped out again by I believe it's Drew, right? Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Oh, she didn't she didn't have any use for Drusilla. She she seemed very bored of Drusilla and Drusilla's ramblings. Like you could just almost watch her eyes roll back in her head every time yeah. Drew ever said something. So I think that sisterhood sexual tension thing came in later. But I feel like most of the time, and I'm, you know, just because they are vampires and it's like sex all the time, if they're not killing, it's sex all the time, right? So I'm sure there were orgies and all that kind of crap. But for the most part, I felt like she was just like, oh, can you just take her somewhere and give her a doll? I can't deal with her flakiness. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I got off of. Because she was so grounded. She just, she didn't have any use for all the hoi polloi mystical stuff. I also Even though she was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also feel she was obviously jealous of Drusilla, like Angelus's fascination with uh, Drew. So yes, definitely she's she's not about the whole flighty, like, let's talk about things that are crazy. But I feel like she was also a little jealous. But that could lead to very tense hate sex. <laughs> it's a fine line. It's a fine line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Jess, any, any any thoughts on that? No, just what I said earlier. Like, I, I feel like that... I, well, I, think, I think it brings us to an interesting point now in the sense of talking about Harmony. Because we see Harmony and Drusilla interact with each other, right? And they are, these are both the other women of Spike. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Well, let's, let's get into Harmony then, our blonde bimbo, with a dash of glory, just because she kind of fits into that blonde bimbo, un, unassuming, unexpected... Villain Harmony, hey, hey! I haven't seen you since graduation. What are our initial impressions? What were your initial impressions of her? Because first we see here, we meet Harmony as a human. She's part of the Cordettes, you know. She follows Cordelia around all the time, and she's you know like a pretty popular girl. And um, and then we see that uh, later on in graduation day, that's when she's turned into a vampire. So what were your, like, initial impressions? Did we think anything was going to happen with Harmony? You know, what? Yeah, tell me tell me about that. For me personally, looking back at it, I'm like, Gina, you're dumb. But for me personally, at first, <laughs> <laughs> I loved Drusilla so much. So then when Harmony was in season four, I was like, man, I'd rather, like, Drusilla be here. Like, And I understand now why that's, that's not a good choice. But at first, I was like, oh, this sucks. Like... But I I love Mercedes McNabb. She's such a great actress. Um, and I love the, like, I'm a popular girl kind of character. So, like, 
it, it wasn't against Harmony as a character. It was just my bias of my love for Drusilla. That was my first impression. <laughs> the very first time I ever met Harmony, I saw her and I was like, hey, that's the blonde girl from Adam's Family Values too. The one that went to Adam's like, I'll throw you, I'll drown you. <laughs> anyway, and so then I was like, so to me, I was just like, oh, she's just a minor character who we're going to see every so often who's going to play off of Cordelia and help us to realize how much Cordelia as an individual has grown through the series. So I didn't pay much attention to Harmony. And then when she showed up as a vampire and had a little more to do in the season, I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. We're seeing a different type of vampire. We're seeing a new vampire. We're seeing a, um, what is it like to be a, a girl, a woman being just turned into a vampire and doing her thing right because she's no longer popular like i'm like how does she deal with having her family and explain to them that she's a vampire now (laughs) like where does all that go and then of course we see the you know relationship develop between her and spike and i was like oh that's unfortunate (laughs) (laughs) yeah how about you heather you know harmony it was you know, just another mean girl to me at the beginning. And it was one of the yeah. th- those things that I had to learn about how the Whedonverse works is that just because they seem ancillary now, like Jonathan, <laughs> right. like many people oh. on the show. Yep. Um, if, if Joss likes you enough, you may be getting a reoccurring role, a reoccurring character. And I think that happened with um, Harmony. I think, um, especially in the moments where Cordelia needed to be alienated or... You know, they and they introduced Anya. Um, she was part of that clique, and and I thought that um, especially one of my favorite episodes is actually an Angel where they play Perfect Day, and it's Harmony getting ready yes. to go to work, yes. and her just mm-hmm. her apartment in LA, and and one of the things that always bugged me about her is who was her sire? It must have been incredibly lonely not to have another vampire to run with. She was just kind of on her own. But she was such a, as Harmony, she was delicious as this vapid, you know, you know, running crew with the, the mean girls. And then when she became a vampire, she she wanted to keep, and you put it so great in your blog, she wanted to keep that that human aesthetic with her, the girliness, the pinkness, the unicorns. She still wanted to be, and she was such a sexual creature once she was a vampire mm-hmm, as well. And, mm-hmm. um, but she was still just ravishingly beautiful and very acutely aware of her femininity. Like she wore it like a freaking pardon pun cross, right? Like she was like, I am pink and girly and I will eat you anyway. <laughs> like, yes. Which is awesome. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize with too thinking of like of her origins like yeah that would have been so lonely like poor Harmony was like made into a vampire and essentially abandoned so she had to figure out how to do this all on her own. Yeah. And yeah. I I don't know what I mean you see her get it at the end of at graduation day but you don't know what happens to her sire it was just a anonymous. Yeah. So he could have gotten some rando. Yeah, yeah, some rando dude. Like like it's almost now that you bring it up it's almost a parable for her. You know, just some, <laughs> got bit by some rando that, you know, yeah. either didn't make it or ran off. Like, yeah, like, you know, she became like, a, in a way, like a, the, the single mother narrative. She got pregnant and they took off on her and she's had to figure it out on her own. Right. Now she's like, yeah, so she's had to figure out how to be a vampire all on her own. So you kind of turn that narrative around and you'd be like, wow, good for Harmony to come to where she gets to. I don't follow her later on in after Buffy. Like, I don't know she does more in Angel, but Yeah. Yeah, as a vampire, let's talk about, uh, yeah, Harmony as a vampire, and you made all of these such really wonderful points, but 
What I love about Harmony is that aesthetic transformation, and I love transformations, and I feel like hers is the most um, dramatic out of Drusilla and Darla and, uh, and herself, Harmony, because if you look back at old Harmony, like Human Harmony episodes, like, yes, yeah, she's running with the Cordettes, but... I don't know. I feel like she was very beige. She was a very beige mean girl with like maybe some plaid and her hair was always very straight with the headband. Not a lot of makeup. She becomes a, yeah. Not a lot of makeup. And then she becomes a vampire. And I said this in, in my blog post, but like her hair is big and it's curly and wavy and the corsets and the tight pleather pants. I was like, what <laughs> happened to you? <laughs> Sex bomb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Like classic conventional you know, big haired, busty, you know, blonde. Right. It was almost like it was Harmony if she was Buffy and then Harmony if she was Faith. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? Willow Willow called Faith a slut bomb. That's Uh, (laughs) Yes. Well, it makes you, I was just gonna say, it makes you wonder that she probably thinks like, well, I'm a vampire now, so I need to be sexy because vampires are sexy because in our pop culture, like I'm assuming vampires existed in tv and stuff like that in some way so she probably think oh, i can you know, i can be sexy now and do all the things i want because there's no there's no limitations for me someone's someone slut shames me i get to eat them like, <laughs> absolutely that sounds like, very <laughs> harmony i love yeah, them fatale yeah because it's interesting like obviously our main character vampires um got turned so long ago so harmony is one of the modern ones probably yeah. one of the only main modern ones so yeah i love that idea of like <laughs> oh yeah vampires are sexy <laughs> <laughs> God, that would be like if you were turned now and you had to like if there wasn't Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you had to like catch yourself up on what female vampires are through mass media, you would be confused. I'd say <laughs> I, I would say I think I'm kind of gay. <laughs> but then we also have like this great reference of what type of female vampire I don't want to be. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the 90s and we're all about like Kelly said in her uh, blog post, girl power now. So it's time to be like. It's all about women and feminism and being like tough and you know owning my sexuality and just be monstrous at the same time and that was an interesting time i was in my 20s in the 90s and it, you know i was a riot girl and i was in the seattle scene and all that kind of stuff and it was a it was a great time because you felt like we were getting somewhere and then all of that went away and we got britney spears shoved up our nose and i always <laughs> felt like that was the backlash against us feeling ourselves in the 90s was like oh yeah well, we're just going to throw, you know, these hyper feminine, but but sexual little girls at you to sing pop songs. And, and like grunge was over within like 24 hours when that happened. It was it was <laughs> yeah. super interesting. I guess back then in my brain, they weren't. But maybe because I was so used to it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think that was kind of and it was the aesthetic of Buffy as well, because that was late 90s, you know, that mm-hmm. you could be sexy and have girl power like that was the point. Yeah. Like, you know, being a feminist doesn't mean you're around wearing baloney dresses, you know, protesting. Somebody actually did that. That was a Sports Illustrated model. She she got she turned into a, 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 a rad film, like like flipped the switch and went all the way to the other end of the spectrum and then posed in a baloney bikini or something like that because she's like, I am not meat. Right. Um mm-hmm. But, oh boy. but you're right. So, I mean, I think that they were trying to find that balance with women can still be women and object to being objectified. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and Jess, what are your thoughts on the highly sexual relationship that Harmony develops with Spike? And as you briefly mentioned, which we can totally get into now, that Spike is not kind to Harmony and she's pretty much a doormat, which is is really, really sad to see. But we know, I can tell that she's quite insecure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that highly charged uh, well, relationship. Well, you can see that. Like, to think if she was created a vampire and was essentially abandoned, she's essentially insecure in her being a vampire and being out in the world. So, of course, she's going to latch on to the closest vampire she knows, a.k.a. Spike, right? And so she comes to adore him and idolize him and wants to give him everything he wants because she's insecure in herself and her identity. But then he's got this fixation, this obsession for Buffy. So he's like, oh, look, another tiny blonde girl. I can make her into my Buffy and he tries to change her and she's trying their best to do what she can to satisfy him. But at the end of the day, she loses herself and she loses her identity, which is what we find out later on when she leaves uh, Spike. And she's like, I realize that I can find myself and I don't need you. You're trying to make me into a You were trying to make me into a Buffy. And I don't appreciate that. It's really refreshing to see all kinds of different relationships in Buffy. Mm. Like, it, as sad as it is what Harmony went through, it's it's realistic yeah. for some people. Yeah. So I, I really appreciated that. Like, they didn't have to go so hard, mm-hmm. but they did. <laughs> they did. And they use yeah. that, yeah. they use that kind of that sexual deviousness because like, maybe Spike, you know, he had that with Drusilla, but she was under, Spike was under Drusilla's thumb. So now here's an opportunity for him to kind of be on top, literally. Right, right. But yeah, at the same time too, though, right. he has this obsession with women who are strong and powerful. So he like tries to make Harmony be that as well. I think he was just there for convenience. She was oh, she was yeah. hot, and <laughs> you know she clearly had quite the kink going when she was a vampire. Like she and she didn't enjoy mm-hmm. his emotional or kind of physical abuse, but unless it came in a sexual sort of package, and then all of a sudden she was like, you could just see her whole face like ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Spike was awful. Spike was the epitome of abusive boyfriend. No respect. Like you want, we all romance because I'm a Spuffy person, and you know you want to romance. He's so in love with Buffy, and it was so romantic. And then you turn around and see how he treated Harmony, and you're just like, oh, you're an asshole. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, kind of like what Jessica was saying, like it is interesting. It's horrible, but interesting to see him be completely different than how he was with Drusilla. You know. Mm-hmm. That he's capable mm-hmm. of that. And that's how hurt he is. Obviously, he's heartbroken still over Drusilla and confused about Buffy. So, like, unfortunately, Harmony had to be the person that had to deal with that. I just felt so bad for her when she was like, I don't know why I let you be so mean to me. And you're just yeah. like, get uh... your get your stuff and leave. Yeah. And she eventually does. Get your unicorn right. collection. Yeah. Like, don't leave. Let, don't let men <laughs> or anybody treat you like that. Yeah. Like... Do not yeah. disrespect me. I will leave, you know? But but again, it's interesting because I feel like Spike went through that with Drusilla, like, kind of recently, you know? So, so it's fascinating how vampires, like, they, they, they're they just kind of, they're not okay with it, but that's just part of it. It's sad. It's I, I mean, I, obvi- obviously, <laughs> she doesn't know any better, right? Well, um, she was like... Even in life, she was kind of a kind of a joke to her friends. And so I, I feel like, you know, we always talk about Harmony is bumbling, but it's actually kind of sad because because she wasn't very bright. And th- that gives gets you a whole lot of, you know, disrespect when you're when you're not the you're not a very bright bulb. And and Spike was just the on steroids kind of version of, you know, I don't care about you. I'm just using you for my own ends, yeah. you know. 
Yeah. Um, one of the things that I kind of discovered when I was researching and writing about Harmony is that I feel like she is the most relatable out of the, the out of this three. Like she's she she's the most human. She's the most almost the most emotional. Um, but yeah, I feel like she's the most relatable for for like yeah. modern women. I don't want to give too much away, Jess, but I highly recommend finishing Angel. Okay. Because. Yes. Um, <laughs> I say that all the time to her. First of all, season oh. five of Angel is like my favorite thing of life. I think it's like perfect writing. But also, sorry, this is spoiling. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I'm a spoiler queen. Har- <laughs> Harmony's like arc and like last hurrah in the Whedon verse or the Buffy verse is like, I yeah. love it. Okay. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Well, and Harmony, you know, literally is the closest to her humanity, like you said, as the modern, mm-hmm. you know, the modern ban- vampire for the show, sired at the time of the show. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so she would understand modern conveniences. She would still be really close to her human emotions. Um, and she represented that insecurity that we all have. Like, does does he, she love me? Does am I good enough? You know, she, she fails, people fail and she gets back up again and keeps trying, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, she's in a way she's to me, the most endearing of the vampires because, Mm -hmm. because God love her. Harmony just keeps going. No matter what harmony, harmony may not be smart enough to know, to give up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but she but you yeah. know she's always optimistic. She's pl- dare I say plucky. She's a plucky vampire, you know. And <laughs> yeah. Yep. And she just I and I don't yeah. know what her thing with Spike is. I wish, you know, even all the way into season 5. It's like we could leave that that alone, please. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What do you think? Well, Jess? like I said, I like I said earlier, I think it's just that that abandonment thing. She was an abandoned vampire and she just mm-hmm. lashed on to what she thought she needed. She didn't realize it mm-hmm. wasn't what she wanted, it was what she needed. And by getting into that relationship with him and trying to find her identity through that, um, is where she ended up realizing, I don't want this. I don't want to be treated this way by this person. I don't need you anymore. I, I can take care of myself. And it's kind of refreshing that she took a while. I mean you know, for, for the audience, we're like, what are you doing? Yeah. But, but, you know, realistically, sometimes, like, it takes a it while, takes a while to, to, like, get out. the straight. Right. And she was, what, 17, yeah. 18? Yeah, She's young. Mm-hmm. She's figuring it yeah, out. I was such a stupid person when I was that age. Like, <laughs> right. Of yeah. course it took you a while to get it together. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say this, like, Spike is really hot. <laughs> Noted. As a vampire, I feel like, you know, that kind of helped her a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. And big up for her being the only person on the planet to call him Blondie Bear. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how she's so different than Drusilla. Oh, like, yeah. Or she would never. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we'll wrap this up. And I was having thoughts of maybe the Monstrous Women Part 3. Where we can fully talk about glory, oh God, maybe Lila. Lila. If you oh. did like the gods and demons and Illyria, throw Illyria in there. Oh yes, thank you. And I was like, who else can I throw in? Yeah, it's the glory. Um, I love human monsters, so mm-hmm. um, Lila, Illyria. That's hard to say. <laughs> Lila, Lila, Illyria. <laughs> <laughs> okay, done. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, any of those women, so okay. <laughs> we'll learn from you later. Okay. I uh, yeah. 
Okay, you got to watch Angel. So that is, if you want to be part of Monstrous Women, uh, how far did you, you get, Jess? Angel. I, I I got into season two, and I didn't, and then I didn't get very far after that. Um, I have a very inter- I I don't care much for Angel, so I just I'm like, the yeah, series is all yeah, about I'm him. <laughs> he really does. He really. I know. The first time I watched it, about Angel him. didn't hold a candle to Buffy for me, but I have since changed my mind a little. Uh, or a lot, actually. Uh, Angel mm-hmm. himself has, I've always kind of thought he's kind of a up his own butt, inward brooding yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> but but in the show, um, and it, especially as an arc, uh, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. Even season four, which I, I thought was an unmitigated disaster. And season five is just a masterpiece. Yeah, I heard yeah, yeah, like more. Like so many... Yeah. I hear it's more adult and it's more darker and there you learn a lot yeah. more about these characters, right? And like, I know that there is more, we learn more about Faith and we see changes for Wesley. Sure. Like we see all these characters and Cordelia, what? like too, and like Cordelia's arc is amazing. Wesley, but for me behind Spike, Wesley's transformation is one of the I most agree. important, well done, lengthy arcs. And I mean, it's just incredible. My, fi- my thoughts on Angel is that Sometimes I even forget that the show Angel is about Angel because Mm -hmm. I think about all the other characters way more than Angel. Like, I feel in Buffy, you do get a little bit of Angel, yes. But again, it, you know, I feel like comes full circle. You learn a lot more. He does have a really interesting arc. But it's for me, Angel is not about Angel. In Buffy, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. Buffy and then all the characters, and it's definitely about Buffy. But for me, Angel is all about everyone else. It's about Wesley. It's about Fred. It's about 100% about Cordelia. And yeah, those three characters, that's that's who I think of when I think of Angel. I don't even think (laughs) about Angel. And that's (laughs) I think that is really interesting. I know. And like I I like Angel, but he's everybody else is just more interesting and everything is just way more intense emotionally through, through all of, uh, of angel. It's just, I think it's, it's just so much more compelling anything that happens to any of those other characters. Over well, and the sensibility of the show was to be noir, to be kind of Batman meets noir okay. for, you know, Boreanaz yeah. um, as a, as a star of vehicle. But really I agree with Kelly, his quest, although it, it, fleshes out as they go along is very straightforward, right? And all of the other characters rotate around him, but because he's so straightforward and single-minded, everybody else's stories and motivations to me are just as interesting, if not more. You guys are selling it. Mm -hmm. You're selling it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yay. I'm I'm such in the minority. I know this isn't an angel (laughs) podcast, but he's like one of my favorites. Um, I just think thinking that Angelus is underneath really mm-hmm. helps me like love his character oh, sure and mm. you know um yeah and and that he's trying he's trying it's hard oh, yeah. he's like he, he left Buffy that's how much he loves her and he's just trying to redeem himself like and the fact that a main character won't have sex is really interesting yeah <laughs> fair enough okay we'll wrap up this section with well we kind of already talked about who our favorites were but do you find these three women, Harmony, Drusilla, and Darla, do you find these women and the portrayals of these characters empowering? Jess. You put me on the spot. We'll start with you. I am I am a toss-up right now between and this is only because of reading the article on Anya and the the other women in uh, the Buffy season. And I do find them empowering in their own ways, but then I also find them less empowering in other ways. Yes. And I, 
And I think it's because because they both of them show up in the series Buffy and they're all showing like these new ideas of uh, femininity and women and all these different aspects. But uh, in some way, shape or form, they still kind of hold up a heteronormative um, story, nor- uh, narrative in the way that their interactions are with their male counterparts, you know, Angel, Spike, um, how they are treated by all the other characters, right? I love the fact that they're empowering because they uphold the monstrous woman, which is something that, that is a conversation that's coming a lot now, especially in the horror community, like up, like embracing the monstrous women within us and finding our identities and not shying away from being powerful. And they're empowering that way. But at the same time, too, though, they, they still kind of fall within this, you know, we are still our identity is still some way attached to a man or a master in some way, shape or form. I want to I want to echo something that the article um, about Anya said and performative gender roles, performative feminism Mm -hmm. is that there is no one right way to be a feminist as long as you're happy with who you are and you're not partaking in oppression against other marginalized communities. And I think Darla is the most empowering character of the three because Darla figured it out. Darla had the uh, the oppression yeah. life and catering to men yeah. and the degradation. And when she came back, she's like, I'm just going to do me and I'm going to do what I like and I'm going to be smart about it. Like Harmony tries, but Harmony is new for one thing. And Harmony's not all there. Um, and Drusilla <laughs> definitely isn't all there. So I think as far as being empowering and having control of your destiny, Darla was clearly the most empowered and she owned it. Owned it, yeah. owned it, owned it. And that's I why I love, love that so much. I'm cheering on the inside <laughs> and kind of Yay. on the outside. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Gina. Uh, I'm going to say Drusilla. Um, <laughs> just because even like even when she is um, weaker at the beginning of season two, she still has all the power. Yes, when Angelus comes in the picture, she definitely gives some of that power away. But Angelus is still so fascinated by her, right? So he wouldn't be the same without her as well. Um, and she, she leaves Spike, you know? Um, obviously she cheats on him, but she leaves him so she doesn't take his crap. Um, then in season two of Angel, like, I- I'm sorry, the best reveal ever is when she turns Darla back into a vampire. Um, I, I, my mouth was like dropped open. Um, <laughs> I never saw it coming, but like, and then, and then we don't really see Drusilla after that, after she leaves. Sorry, spoiler for Angel. Uh, we might see her in other ways, but, um, but yeah, I, I feel like she's really independent too. Of course, Angel and Spike are such a big part of her life, but after she leaves Buffy, mm-hmm. like, she's on her own. She can do whatever she wants. And I, I think that's great. Excellent. So, Speaking of Anya, which we did not talk about right now, but we are going to segue into our demon woman, Anya. For a thousand years, I wielded the powers of the wish. I brought ruin to the heads of unfaithful men. I brought forth destruction and chaos for the pleasure of the lower beings I was feared and worshipped across the mortal globe. And now I'm stuck at Sunnydale High. Mortal. Child. And I'm flunking math. So her origins, and we first uh, meet her in The Wish, and then we kind of see her more in Doppelgangland a little bit later on. 
Uh, but yeah, initial impressions of this character. Because at first, you know, again, you know, Heather says something really great that like she, sometimes we see they seem to be minor characters and then they turn into major ones. So, you know, going from, yeah, starting with you, Jess. Uh, yeah, what are your initial thoughts and in, in impressions on Anya? Why well, I love Anya as a character. And what's funny, too, is when I first saw her, and this is, once again, another pop culture reference, I was like, oh, my God, that's the girl who played uh, Brandon's boyfriend and uh, girlfriend in 90210. And da, da, da. he was so, you know, so I was Susan. Like, remembering yep. all that. Susan, right? Yeah. And so I was like, this, uh, and I love it because she, um, the actress, like, sorry, I don't know her name. She she plays uh, women who are open-minded and speak their mind really well. And I love the character of Anya. I love that we got this vengeance demon who is just so frank and just so opinionated. And then I love that she became more of a character throughout the series. Like, you know, because, yeah, I wasn't sure we were going to see her again. And then she comes back and then she's got this whole thing, you know, where she's just like, I have this attraction to you, Xander, and I'm going to follow through with it because this is what I do, right? This is what humans do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it was interesting having her being a demon trying to figure out how to be a human again and vice versa. Love that. How about you, Heather? I really liked her character in The Wish. She she seemed savvy. She seemed to know that Harmony was a bimbo. And yeah. She didn't like how Cordelia was being treated by Harmony when Harmony mm-hmm. thought she had the upper hand in the situation. And she was very human in that episode. Like, she didn't express herself the way Anya does when Anya's in just being Anya. Um, and, you know, kind trying to cajole her, Cordelia, to make The Wish. Um, because she was clearly a vengeance demon at the time. And when it all got turned around and the power center was destroyed, and I, and I, I thought, I wonder what's going to happen to this character, right? Um, and when she, when she came back as Anya, the, uh, the, as Anya, you know, the ex-vengeance demon, I thought, this woman is the id of every woman. She just says what she thinks. She blurts out her carnal desires. She, she has this, these dependencies on men that she's not, um, afraid to express, um, because that's who she is, right? Um, whether we uh, agree with it or not as feminists, right? That's what she wants. She wanted Xander. She wanted, you know, she was what they say, a thousand something years mm-hmm. old. Um, yeah. she, you know, her name was odd and she had this husband that cheated on her. And can you imagine? Uh, you know, gender roles then mm-hmm. like she, she was just property. She's like a chair. Yeah. Right. So I mean, maybe that's still there. She was, she was never. And then she spent a thousand years wreaking havoc on men. And then the minute she goes back to being human, she wants a man. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it's this really <laughs> odd dichotomy, but I love at first I was very, the first time I watched Buffy through, I was very put off by her character. And Emma Caulfield is a brilliant mm-hmm. actress. Thank you. And she's one of those ones that grew on me. And now she's one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. She's hilarious for one mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. She's just <laughs> with it. Uh, one of my favorite parts is when she's telling the joke during Restless. And she, <laughs> she's so literal that she can't do the punchline yeah. correctly. And it's, it's just, <laughs> just stuff like that. Yeah. It's just a little... It goes to further than just being a, you know, kind of a pun, the kind of really thinky jokes that yeah. they tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gina? 
a similar thing. I, I feel like it took a little bit for uh, her to grow on me. However, just the fact that she wanted to have sex with Xander so badly, I was like, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> a girl wants to have sex so badly. Like, we need to see more of that, you know? Uh, so that was really refreshing. <laughs> and asked for it, right? Asks for it. Yeah, and asked for it. Exactly, exactly. Like, like Xander was the one that was less like, oh, sure, you know, I don't know. Well, he that, was that was always really put off by how forward she was. She was like, look, oh, yeah. I have this desire for you. You clearly have this desire for me. Let's put A and B <laughs> together and make this happen. What, are you, I'm naked. Well, are you put off by this? You don't seem put off by it. <laughs> so he's just like, I'm not used to this. Yeah. And this is what... <laughs> You know, we we love about Anya in the beginning. She has this very, she's this positive representation for women of sexuality and wanting to have sex and own your carnal desires. And but then we see over time she gets shot down. She's get told you can't be overt. You're always shocking to the other women in the Scooby Gang. Stop being this way, right? This tragedy the tragedy of Anya's character this is why I love her so much too. And I also feel sad for her because she goes, she starts off so strongly. And then you have this point through the series where she is trying to find her identity and she's either like, she's either was um, Olaf's uh, wife, then she's Dehoffrin's, you know, a vengeance demon, then she's Xander's girlfriend, then she's the shop girl for Giles, you know, and then she was going to be Xander's wife and then she's no longer has, gets that opportunity to be Xander's wife. So she goes, become a demon again. Then she realizes- Can I just say, Xander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Xander. Yeah. Right. And then she realizes that I'm the only one that likes Xander. Oh, <laughs> she and then she realizes that, she, and I feel so sad for her because she's like, I mm -hmm. want my own identity, and that we, you know, watching that episode selfless, and she's like, I want to have my own identity. I need to find who Anya is, not as anyone, but me. Mm -hmm. And then she dies at the end of season seven. Like you start to see that like, she's trying to find herself, and then mm -hmm. she gets killed off. Mm -hmm. and you're like, why, <laughs> Anya? Thanks, Sean. <laughs> I. I Again, with the id thing, though, Jess, like you said, I like she was all always, you know, held up by a man. Yeah. But her absolute forthrightness about sex and money just slays me. <laughs> just slays me that she, you know, her whole obsession with the money, like, <laughs> the monopoly game. Would you Can like I to sell these children? Would you for like more to money? smell yeah. the money? Yeah, <laughs> the money makes me feel better. <laughs> smell the money. Take these children for more money. Like, <laughs> no, I'm saddled with squalling pink children. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. And again, to see to see a female character want sex and money so much, but she's not like a, a trophy wife or like what you think a woman that wants those two things are like is like amazing, amazing. But she shows that she's smart in her own way too. Like when we see her backstory about she's like you know the the villagers don't like me because mm -hmm. i speak and i ask questions and i'm curious about things and they're like no we don't like that we don't want you to own that either and then when de hoffer meets her and he's like hey that's really cool how you turned into him into a troll like what and she's like oh well i did this and this he's like you're intelligent okay i'm going to take advantage of this and you'll be you make the perfect vengeance demon for me you know and then we see this later on too when she becomes an ex-demon and she's able to help the Scooby game because she knows all this knowledge and she shares all this information with them. She's And so she's trying to find her way in her own right. Being like, well, I have all this previous knowledge of how you deal with demons and how you can get rid of these things. Here's how it works. I do love that. I love that uh, uh, interjection that when people are are suffering or they're finding out who what they're being tormented by and Anya's just like, oh, 
blah, 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 and drops the knowledge bell. She's like, oh, yeah, the eye of Bell Joxus, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. all the, the unexpected moments where she has the inside track is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think it's fascinating that she was a vengeance demon, and then when she's not, she wants to find someone. I think that's really interesting. Maybe they could have delved into that a little bit more. But I feel like, at, at least at that point, she doesn't think Xander's like, a bad person so why wouldn't she want to be with him you know she was really only extracting vengeance like on men that are terrible which are a lot but um still well her first job she was thinking she was going to exact vengeance on xander though mm-hmm. that's, that's what's true. interesting true, 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 about yeah, the whole true. thing yeah. um i think that her off-puttedness towards people of polite society is one of those things that <laughs> she unlearned or never had because of the time she was born in so, like, um, of course, the the heartbreaker, one of the best scenes in all of Buffyverse, all of Whedonverse, is when she starts questioning how to behave in the, in the face of of um, Joyce's death. death. Yeah. And everybody mm-hmm. gets like so upset with her because she's being inappropriate. And she's like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, someone explain this to me. Uh, right. You know. And that's when it hits you. She's like, oh, God. Right. She just doesn't get it. No. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, I cry yeah, every time. Me too. You see her throughout the entire season like she's like she's trying to understand what it is to be human. And mm-hmm. but still be herself and still maintain her sense of identity and right but then but she like you said she I think it was in this article they talk about the episode selfless that Anya was so selfless to the point that she had no sense of self. So that she mm-hmm. so she was so dependent on the people around her, the male figures in her life to keep her in check. Right. And so at the end of selfless, when she's like, no, I choose myself, I need to find out who I am to be to be this person. Right. And so she, you know, stilling offend, like, you know, her outrightness still offends the people of uh, the Scooby gang. But at the same time, too, she's she's not apologetic for it. She's unapologetic for it. That's the word. There you go. I also love her um, in season seven of Buffy when she isn't with anyone. Right. Um, Not only is she hysterical, but also like. Yeah, of course it sucks that she dies at the end, but I really do love that we get to know her a little bit more. And everything with her and Andrew towards the end is, like, heartbreaking yeah. to me. It's it's one of those things that I remember from the end of the show more than a lot of other things. Yeah. Like I really feel like in season seven, especially, like, post-Xander, which is, like, the best Anya, and she really shows her, her humanity in season seven you know, with, with Andrew and she helps the help training and helps out with all the potentials and she lives there and she helps everyone out. And yeah, she's finding out who she is there. And I, I love, I love that Anya because it's still the Anya that we have all known and love, but she's doing her own thing now. And, and I, I love that part so 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 much and you know and the end is selfless because Jess and I just watched this together but she even says to Xander and she's like but what if I'm no one like what if I don't matter and he's like don't be a dope (laughs) she's like I'm a dope yes but you know she's like she doesn't really know like what if she's no one and that I think is an incredible human thing that she said and that you know that she's feeling because how many of us can can relate to that loss of identity and trying to find out who the hell we are in this life instead of being performative, which I think a lot of what Anya was, the performing of a human being, performing of a female human, how she dressed, how, 
you know, she was supposed to act, even though she, you're right, she never apologized for that. But, you know, from her hair and her clothes and some of her mannerisms, and especially when they, like, put her in a lot of, like, 1950s housewife garb is, was a little disconcerting. But her, I think she's at her most human at the end. I feel like, and I had this huge moment of realization when I was reading this article on Anya the other day, this bomb went off in my head. So when they're pointing out her clothing and her how she does her hair mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and I'm just like, she's trying to emulate what it is to be human, but she's trying to emulate someone that we all know very well. Mm-hmm. She's trying to be Buffy. She's trying to she's trying to emulate Buffy and because everyone looks up to Buffy and everyone you know. And at the end of the day, Buffy will always be Xander's first love, and so she's always trying to she's trying to be that that for him. And at the end of the day, she would never be Buffy. And so she'll never be what Xander always wanted. And, and but because Buffy and in a way, you know, Xander was trying to make her into that way, you know, like, oh, you know, like you don't act this way. You got to act more like this and be like Buffy. And she's like, I'm not Buffy. <laughs> I feel like sometimes shows forget about past relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like any other show would have been like, oh, yeah, Xander never liked Buffy. What are you talking about? But like, it's a really sad thread that I feel like continues throughout the entire show. And right up until and, the end. And it's and, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 I think and it's sad. It's sad. I think that she was, I think that article talked about the Anya character's hair changing yeah. an inordinate amount of yeah. times, like yep. 50 something times. Yep. And every, every time, you know, it would get closer and closer and closer to being Buffy's hair, yep. right? To the point that Sarah changed her hair because, because Anya kept copying her hair, yep. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Long and blonde. I remember that. That, yeah. that, that was Anya for, a lot of, I think, season six into a bit of season seven. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she cut it all off, got dark hair again. Another moment I really love, even though it's so messed up, but it's when her and Spike. Oh, my uh, goodness. That's a great. It's totally yeah. messed up. The, yep. com- the, com- but, the yes. comfort shag. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But again, it's very like she made, she wants this. She made yeah. her decision. It's it's refreshing. And she doesn't hey, apologize that. for I- it. And that happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. That that happens. Yep. Like that is a realistic exactly. thing. Like. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And Xander's. Oh boy. Oh, Xander's His reaction. reaction is not great. Like I, I get it would be very shocking to see that happen like over a camera and, and whatever. So you literally have to see it. And that would be really upsetting emotionally. But yikes. And she's just like, yeah, so what? It happened, you know? And, and, and that, and that, I mean, we've talked about, I've talked about this. We've talked about this many times, but in the weed inverse, you do not have casual sex. It doesn't end well. You don't consent to that. That is not a thing that you do. So, you know, for Xander and he's like, oh God, you can't, I can't believe you did that. But also because it was Spike, who is an undead thing, never likes vampires. Well, and his his moral postul- posturing Ugh, all the time just drove me crazy. Yeah. You know, he left her at the yep. altar. Yeah, he's got no say oh. in what she does with herself anymore, and he has no right to be upset. Yeah, like the the bigger reason he's mad is Spike is shagging all his women. That's yes. what's going and on. Vampires are shagging all his women. The yes. undead. Yeah. And that I, horrible I will, thing he said to Buffy, you guess you have to be undead to get any care from you. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh. And he, he makes little slaps like that all I the know. time. You know? And it even comes back around like in season seven when uh, when when uh, Buffy brings up the, the thing where he said, you know, is, is 
go kill him or whatever with Angel. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Willow. Yeah. When she was, ne- I never said that. You know why? Oh. Because Xander yep. freaking yep. misrepresented what was said. Yep. 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 I will say, though, as messed up as it is that Xander left Anya at the altar, I'm also glad they didn't get married. So in a way, he was doing what's best for them. The way he went about it's awful. He should have never agreed to get married or after he did, if he thought about it, he should have been like, actually, I'm not ready. But I'm also glad he didn't because imagine how how horrible like their life would have been if he went through with it. I don't know. It would have been. I've never heard a convincing argument to why their marriage wouldn't work if he had just manned up. He loved her. Of course. I I just don't think Xander was ready as a person. But he had so so much unresolved stuff around Buffy. I don't think it would have ever worked. He had so much unresolved stuff around that. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of unresolved stuff about everything. <laughs> yeah, I, <was> gonna say. <laughs> I mean, he's been butt hurt since season two. So he's just like, <laughs> season, no, no, no. Season one. Yeah. Yeah, season yeah, one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to go to the dance yet. Oh, God. Okay. Are we okay to move on to listener letters for sake of time? Ooh, let's go. Okay. Okay, so now we're going to get into our listener letters. We have two of them. So this is the part of the show where we pass the microphone to all of you, our listeners, and we read the letters that you've been sending into us. So as a side note, if you have any comments or questions or topic suggestion or an amusing anecdote to share with us, please tweet it to us at the Nevers Podcast uh, or send us an email at uh, the Nevers Podcast at gmail.com and we'll read it on an upcoming episode. And the first one is from one of our newest listeners, Christina. And Christina writes, Dear Never Writes, It's been a fun month listening to your podcast while going on socially distant walks and other activities. And I'm really grateful to whichever one of you it was who told me that you guys existed and suggested that I listen for information on the Nevers. That's one big benefit I've had from not attending Constellation this year on Facebook. I don't have a lot of experience in podcasts, so I don't know if they all feel as direct as yours does, but the way that you guys speak makes a listener feel like we're in there in the room with you. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I love <laughs> I love all your wacky theories about the nevers and get a huge laugh how you guys usually say you're probably completely wrong about them. And I'm looking forward to the episode when Tyke finally says he has a Twitter account after a year of funny excuses why he doesn't. <laughs> I know about time, Tyke. I just finished listening to the episode on Weedenverse Sidekicks, and I was really happy that you guys started off with Doyle, who, for my money... Is one of the most underappreciated, probably because he was on for such a short time. Huge shame that, as I would have loved to see how things developed between him and Cordelia. Yes! Me too, because Angel Cordelia. Me too, me too. Anyway, anyway. And how he continued to grow as a character. And as it is, it's amazing to see how much he did evolve in the short time that he was there. Kudos to the writing and acting. Completely agree with that. My question for you for the Monstrous Women episode. How annoyed are you by season one, Darla? Talk about a massive difference to when we see her later on in Angel. They clearly hadn't decided that she was going to be this important figure with such a rich backstory when they started out, especially in the pilot. And her interactions with the master just before the harvest, cringeworthy. In my mind, I kind of see these early episode Darla and later Darla as two different characters. Keep up the good work. I look forward to hearing more from you. Should be all caught up with the podcast in a few days, and then I'll dive into your website. And hopefully we will all get to finally discover the numbers for ourselves in a few months. Mm-hmm. hopefully whenever that's coming out and Ugh. fingers crossed for some more awesome interviews Ooh, saludos from spain uh christina or crazy chris says i'm following you on instagram and twitter p.s since you're calling these letters my original intention was actually to pull a pen and paper and send you a scanned handwritten letter oh, that would <laughs> be so cool. then i figured if i can barely read my own handwriting it wouldn't be very nice to put you through that deciphering exercise <laughs> 
Uh, thank you so much for that. Thanks so much for listening. You're amazing. You. Um, I have some Spanish in me <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, it's like you read our minds. I feel like we definitely uh, covered mm-hmm, that in right? this episode. And but I'm weird. I, I still like I still like Darla in season one. <laughs> I, well, I like Darla in season one as well. But I don't think she's the same Darla that she no. No. yeah that came yeah. on yeah. later. And I and I think that's absolutely right because. As with many other characters, she wasn't envisioned mm-hmm. in being a long-term investment. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't even know if they were going to get. They didn't get a whole season, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So right. they got twelve episodes to work it out. So, yeah. like, right. you know, they, they it just likes mm-hmm. to not leave loose ends, even if it's one season. So. And I feel like it's kind of like Angel and Cordelia. Like they grow so much in the show Angel. So I, I think it's kind of okay that they almost seem like different characters at first. Characters yeah. grow, you know. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. I also want to say Doyle. I love Doyle. Uh, I had such a huge crush on Glenn Quinn when he was on Roseanne. Oh, yeah. Uh, and when I heard he was going to be on Angel, I was super excited. He was one of my, you know, teenage crushes. <laughs> right? and it, the tragedy of Doyle and the tragedy of Glenn, Glenn <sighs> Quinn himself yeah. is just, we, we, I watch the show now and I can't separate the mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. And I feel the weight of whatever was going on in Glenn's life invested into his character Doyle. Doyle. Yes. I, I agree with that so much. I understood why Joss had to write him. David Greenwald had to get, get him off the show. It's understandable, but, but it's just so sad to me because if he had gone through the, can you imagine Mm. if he'd gone all, we wouldn't have gotten gun, but yeah, you know, yeah, I know. It's and that's the whole he was my inspiration to write about the sidekicks of the Weedoverse and then do that episode because I started my rewatch of Angel and I was like, oh, Doyle, man, like he he made such an impact for such a short stint mm-hmm. that he had on that first season of that show. And it's he's unforgettable. And I I agree with you, Heather. It's I find it very heartbreaking uh, to to watch that, knowing what happened with that actor. And and that episode always makes me ball where Cordelia and Angel, now it's just the two of them. God love them. Um, oh, and they're watching oh. that video that he was helping Cordelia make. And he's yeah. like, that's it, yeah. right? Uh, am I done now? And I'm just bawling, oh, bawling. Oh, what's, even, what's even worse is about, I believe about a season to a season and a half later when... Um, Glenn passed away. He, they put him in the credits. Yes, yes. And yes. I was just like, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like uh, the weed in first, we never forget, and that's we kind of touched on that a bit earlier. But like past relationships, there's always a thread. We'll never forget people before where they're they're going always be mentioned. They're going to be important. There's it's just everything is important uh, to the development of all of these characters and their stories. So I hope that answered your question, Christina. So we'll move on to our final question. And our second letter is from Angel. Not to be mixed up with David Boreanaz. That would be interesting. (laughs) Oh, yes, please. (laughs) Um, Angel says, I've been enjoying the random bits of info that you've been sharing on social media about Victorian England and now with female monsters from television and film. One of you made an interesting observation about Frankenstein's bride. While his first creation is quite monstrous and off-putting, his second creation, a bride for his first creation, was not as grotesque or monstrous as his first. Is this a case of men being horny, one-track-minded simpletons who can't think with anything other than their dumb stick? Or, <laughs> or can you think of a legitimate reason why the female creation was shown 
more love and attention with a focus on being a beautiful, almost human-like creation. Lots of love, Angel in South Australia. So thank you for listening to our show and being from Australia. I think that's fantastic. We have such, I guess, like exposure and growth throughout uh, like internationally. So thank you very much for that. Well, I saw this when it came up and I and I very tritely commented because she's a girl. Yeah, I um, saw that. I, so I think there are two things at play here. Uh, he already created a monster, so he was going to get better at his craft the second time. But if you ever read biographies or see documentaries about men in their work, they almost always have a sexual component of attraction integrated into their work, whether it be romantic or purely sexual. And I think, assuming Dr. Frankenstein was cis, that he was going to take a lot more love and care with the female character, uh, not only for himself, but his other creation, which was, was of course, a projection of himself. Um, and make sure that she was attractive and make sure she was more human. You know, he was almost like building a real doll, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, is it one track mind? I, th- you know, at the end of the day, at the end of this, when the, the, our star dies and this planet, you know, freezes up, everything uh, mankind has ever done was to get the girl. Do you know, <laughs> sex is the motivator of everything in our planet. It's the lizard brain, money, power, you name it. It's not all for that itself. It's at the end of the day, it's to get the girl or the boy or the, you know, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It is the single minded motivator for uh, creating, for amassing, for destroying. Mm-hmm. Jess? Well, I'm trying to think like when we think of like Frankenstein, like I always thought when he brings together the bride he is like learning from his past mistake he's like okay so i did this you know my first creation was very hastily done i wasn't really thinking so this time around i want to add more life it's like you know like when men were trying when we're trying to create something we're always trying to do bigger and better so it's like okay well i'm going to you know now that i've done the male i'm going to do the female i'm going to do bigger and better and i'm going to take more time and take more craft and crafting this uh this um creature bring it to life and she's going to have more intelligence and she's going to have uh, more uh, insight more insight into who she is as a being whereas the monster didn't i see where you're going though with jess it's the creation of a companion yeah and it is born out of however the first creation was created i mean i think you've got something there it was born in the first creation, as you know, but then at the end of the day, it's man being able to control that creation, right? Mm-hmm. He is going to make the creature that is going to, like you say at the end of the day, submit to his needs, submit to his will. With the monster, he tried to kill the monster and get rid of the monster and destroy it, but the monster's like, no, you're going to make me a companion. So he's like, okay, so if I make you a companion, I will make sure this is a companion that I can control. What's an easier way to control a companion? Make her female. <laughs> Like, you know, let's ins- let's instill that right from the get-go. Absolutely. Because he's not going to make another male companion for him. Just that's another threat to him. I think, it, it, yeah, it's all of the above. But also, then I was thinking, I was like, okay, if, if a woman was Frankenstein, I think, she, and at that time, I think she might have done the same thing. Like, just because of society um, and what everyone thought women should be. Mm. So... 
So yes, it, it's for sure also men being <laughs> horny, but I also think it's society as well. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you're right too, Gina. It's society, it's culture, it's like, what is Frankenstein's background? He is of the upper class. So of course you're going to create a woman with charm and grace and intelligence, right? But if he was of lower class, of course he's going to make a woman that's hardy and is going to be able to bear his right, children and right. do the work around the house. That's all that matters to him, right? I think at the end of the day, it's culture, it's how we perceive each other. But he's also going to fuss to make it more attractive. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing the movie Crumb, which is about Robert Crumb, who was a, a really famous, it still is, um, cartoonist and author in the 70s. And he would talk about in his work that he always took a lot of care to get his drawings right. But when he was drawing some of the more erotic sexual scenes, he would fuss with the women characters. He would get them just like he wanted them, that were attractive to him and, you know, and 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 more sexual, Right. And I think that goes into this whole notion, like not overtly, um, because you couldn't talk about the kind of stuff, especially when the early Frankenstein movies were made. But yeah, he's going to fuss and make his his female character attracted to, to him. And, and he probably gets a lot of pleasure out of it. Like it's a motivating factor to to get the skin soft and the voice modulated and not be clunky like his first creation was. It's not often you get to create the perfect woman for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> God, I go back and look at weird science now, and I'm like, why did I like this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for Angel. That was a fantastic question, and hopefully that answered it for you. If you have any other thoughts, please, you know, send us an email or talk to us on social media. And I think that that is going to end our part two of the exploration into the monstrous women of Buffy and Angel. And yep, we said it. We said it here. You heard it here first. There's going to be a part three. Matthew, we're making it happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, So please remember to subscribe to the Nevers podcast and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on HBOTheNevers.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HBOTheNevers. And visit the Nevers podcast on Patreon and consider becoming a patron. Thank you guys so much. I'm very happy that I was part of this episode and I'm very excited about part three. Um, Thank you guys for being here. And would anyone like to shout out their social media? Uh, I'm Heather. Uh, I am one of the co-hosts of um, the Nevers podcast. I almost said Nevers cast again, you guys. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, You can find me on uh, Twitter at HMBAT at TNP. And I want to do another personal thank you for Jess to for coming on to this second, you know, part two of the monstrous women. Yes. Yay, Jess. <laughs> Yay. I was going to say, I was just like, I was just checking our Twitter account. Be like, you can follow Spencers of Horror at Spencers of HorrorSpencers.com. <laughs> oh, no. Scrap that. Uh, thank you, Kelly, for having me back on this episode. I really enjoyed this conversation on the monstrous women. And yep, you can follow me on Twitter at spectral Jess zero seven, as well as our other project, the uh, Spencers of horror at horror Spencers and our website. And I, our spit podcast. Podcast. I spit on your podcast. Best <laughs> podcast name ever. I say it every time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Very Thank welcome. You, Kelly. I'm Kelly, <laughs> uh, the host of today and a co-host on the Nevers podcast and the co-host on I Spit in Your podcast. You can follow me personally on Twitter at kgredner. Also on Instagram, I post some interesting photos, often cats, but it's at venal <laughs> underscore anatomica. <laughs> Please follow her for the cat pictures on Instagram. And I'm Gina Gemini. You can find me on Instagram. And we will see you all next time on the Nevers Podcast. Bye.
Bye. Bye. That was awesome. This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written and produced by Kelly Gredner and Matthew Yamanashi and edited by Matthew Yamanashi at Culture Inject Studios. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on the Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. They're coming. Are you ready? And we didn't go three hours, Kel. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs>